Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. You're fantastic at coding, but do you have an action plan to take it to the next level? The upcoming book, Next Level Freelance, will help you optimize your freelance business for happiness. The book is packed with actionable steps to make more money, case studies, tips to find more clients, and exercises for you to establish your desired lifestyle. Extras include nine interviews with freelancers who make great money while enjoying great work-life balance, videos on strategies to find quality subcontractors, and videos on making more free time by outsourcing your daily tasks. Check it out today, nextlevelfreelance.com. This episode is sponsored by Planscope. Planscope is a project management and collaboration app built for freelancers and the way they work with clients. It makes it easy to price out new estimates and once you're underway, help answer the question, will this get done on time and under budget? I've been using Planscope to do my estimates and manage my projects and I really, really like it. It makes it really easy to keep things in in order and understand when things will get done. You can go check it out at planscope.io. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 79 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. Eric Davis. Hi. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we also have a special guest, and that is Pippin Williamson. Hi, everybody. So, since you haven't been on the show before, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. As we said, my name is Pippin Williamson. I'm a WordPress plugin developer. I spend my days writing plugins, supporting plugins, and generally running a business around commercial plugins. Uh, I have a couple of large plugins out there, one called Easy Digital Downloads, and another one called Restrict Content Pro that I'd kind of consider my main ones, and that's pretty much what I do today today. Huh. I'm a little curious. Generally, when you're making money writing plugins for WordPress, are you writing the kind that you know people pay for and then they download the code and stick it in the WordPress installation? Or are you doing custom development for people or both? Or how does that work? I do several different kinds. I would say my day-to-day development, it would be considered product development, where I'm working on a plugin or plugins that are purchased either as a subscription or as a single purchase that then the user gets to or the customer gets to install on their site in use. Then every now and then I will do custom development for customers where they have a specific plugin request and I will build that for them that is uh, tailored to, to their specific needs. Sometimes those will be one-off plugins where they're the only customer that ever uses it. Sometimes those plugins are then released either on WordPress.org for free or they're re- released as, as a commercial product under some sort of agreement with that original customer. So one question I have about that is uh, WordPress is licensed under the GPL v2. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't your plugins also carry the GPL v2? Yes, every single one of my plugins is licensed under the GPL v2. Uh, the way that that works, and, and this is something that a lot of people are a little unclear on when it comes to selling commercial plugins, is that at least if you are promote that you're licensed un- under the GPL, all of your code inside of your plugins is GPL, meaning that if a customer purchases it, they can take it, they can do anything they want to it, they can redistribute it, they can modify it, they have the same freedoms that you would with, say, the source code in WordPress itself. What we do for commercial plugins is when you purchase a license, you're not licensing the code. You're licensing support and updates. So if you want to get support for the plugin or you want to get access to the latest versions, bug fixes, new features, etc., you have to have an active license certificate. So that license basically just grants you permission to get updates, we will deliver the updates to you, and we will assist you with problems. And that's what you're really purchasing. You're not actually purchasing the code behind the plugin. 
So I can give it to my friend, and you can get mad, and I can say GPL, dude. Yep, absolutely. Huh, that's really and that's kind of that's what um, I did with Redmine and Chili Project. They're both GPL v2, and so the plugins I wrote, I actually had it in my contract that I could not give, um, you know, like work for hire or any kind of that um, IP to my customer or my clients. I'd have to give them, you know, this is also GPL v2, so you're going to get a GPL v2 plugin. And I'd end up putting it on GitHub. And the thing they would get is, you know, they would get the code and be able to use it. And I would give them support and training and all that. And anyone can come along and download it, but they might not know how to use it. Or if they found a bug that was like outside my client's use case, um, I wouldn't be able to support kind of that, the open source person downloading yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. It. A case where this really comes into play is if you have a commercial plugin that then gets bundled with a another commercial product such as a theme or something like that or is simply distributed through some other means maybe someone runs a website where they're allowing people to download other commercial plugins free of charge or at a different rate what happens is those people that obtain the plugin through the non um, we'll say official sources mm-hmm. don't get support for their issues when they come up and that's really how you per- you control it and you prevent it from becoming a problem for you as a business customers when they purchase a commercial product they want support they want to have their questions answered. They want to get their bugs fixed, etc. So by purchasing a license, that's how you you guarantee that, as opposed to downloading it from from somewhere else that's a little shadier or something like that. Gotcha. We see a lot of problems where somebody will have a theme that they want to sell, usually on ThemeForce, just because of the scale. And what they want to do is make it easy for their for their customers, and just so they'll bundle a bunch of commercial plugins. Into, into the theme, whether it's slider plugins, forms, uh, e-commerce plugins, whatever it is, they will bundle a lot in there, but it then causes a problem because the customers are, are using it. Then they run into a problem with, with whatever plugin they're using that came bundled with a theme, but suddenly they have no way to get support for it because the theme de- developer, while they may know the plugin really well, they may be able to help, but if it gets into a really technical issue, they're going to need to go to the actual developers of the product. Well, if that customer doesn't have a license key because they purchased it. They didn't actually purchase it. They got it included with their theme as a bundle. They're not going to be able to get support for it, usually. So I guess the other question then is, so you can you can distribute it however you want to. Um, you can give it away because, you know, it's GPL and it's the support that comes up. Can you disable certain features based on having if a license they, or not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to. But it's still I mean, open source, so they can go and they can circumvent it. Right. It's still open source. So if they wanted to, they can go in and disable that. Right. Usually, my own philosophy, when I when I sell a commercial product, I never disable features mm-hmm. based upon a license key. What I will do instead is simply disable the automatic updates. So if, let's say, I push out version 2.5 of a plugin, and it's got X number of features, bug fixes, etc., well, any user that is on version 2.4 they're only going to be able to update if they have an active license key. So that's usually the only thing that I will disable uh, for a commercial plugin is the, is the access to support and the automatic updates. So when it goes out and it says, hey, is there a new version? Your, your server says, not for you. Right. Because you didn't send me a license key that I recognize. Yep, yep. more or less. Interesting. And it's a pretty common practice. A lot of large commercial plugins and theme businesses do the same thing. So I guess this is kind of an interesting dichotomy, and I know we're still talking about GPL, and you know that's not exactly what we're on here to talk about. But 
I, I am kind of curious. Do you feel like uh, the GPL V2 license impacts your business positively or negatively? I think it's a great thing. I personally love the, the GPL. I like everything that it entails, the freedoms, the ability to do what I want with it or let other people do what they want. I've never really had a negative impact come from it. I think the the largest negative impact I've ever experienced with the GPL is people debating what you can and can't do with it. Mm-hmm. In terms of actually hurting my business because something is under the GPL, I, it's never really happened. Makes sense. At Cur- least Curtis not and Eric, feel free to chime in too. I know you both have worked on GPL uh, stuff. And I'd agree with Pippin. I don't. I've had clients ask about it, and I basically say it would be stupid of me to distribute the plugin I'm doing without your permission, but you technically can't stop me. It's just a bad business decision, so I won't make it. Right. Um, that's but a, yeah, and that's, anything I would release, I'd just do GPL. I wouldn't sweat it. The people that are going to try and steal it are going to find some way anyways, and the I, people that aren't are going to pay for it anyways. You Like, you can't right. fight it. A lot of people say that the... When it comes to the GPL, like if, if Curtis releases something, I'm not going to take it, rebrand it as my own and release it. It's just bad business. Mm-hmm. I personally care about my own reputation from a business side and a personal side. So I'm not going to do that. And that's how a lot of people feel as well. Now, there, there are those that couldn't care less about that, that aspect. But in, in general, a lot of business, while, while there's always the dark side of business, a lot of people are actually pretty friendly. Yeah, I guess the other thing that I've run into is that some businesses are afraid of the GPL. Absolutely. Uh, there was, I've seen a lot of threads. There was one recently on ThemeForest when when ThemeForest made the switch to allow theme authors to go GPL or not. There was a lot of people that just spoke out on the forum saying like, this scares the heck out of me because somebody else is going to take my code and resell it and do stuff like that. Well, I think that is a very real fear that is perfectly valid. I think in general, it's a lot more, people make it a lot more serious than it really is. Um, obviously, it's always going to happen. But like Curtis said, if somebody wants to pirate your code, they're going to pirate your code. They don't give a darn what it's licensed under. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, PHP, Ruby, whatever you're running, you know, it runs on a runtime. It runs on a, it runs on an interpreter and, you know, you can see the code. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's not even compiled, so... Well, and the big thing is, even with a license that would let you limit usage, you still have to go spend all the money to go do it, right? Right. Like, I'm not going to chase someone down, even if I did have a license for it, right? People take the content off your site, never chase that crap down. Way better things to do with my time. I know a lot of people that actually actively try and fight piracy, even of of GPL plugins, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, That's a different discussion, but... Uh, I know people that will actively fight it and they will spend hours every single week chasing those people down, sending DMCAs, et cetera. Um, and and I, in general, I think it's just kind of a waste of time. People are going to pirate your code no matter what you do. I guarantee you every single one of my commercial plugins can be found via Google somewhere. But I don't really care because I have a lot of better things to do. The customers that are willing to to purchase it in a in a valid manner, so to speak, are the ones that are worth my time. And and catering catering to those is much better for my business than trying to f- prevent those that are going behind through the back doors. So uh, I, I guess this kind of leads into how do you how do you make money or how do you build your business around something that's open source that's readily available to everybody? Well, I would say the first thing is your audience is huge. Just because something is open source doesn't mean that it can't be sold. Uh, I think there's a general misconception that. 
open source software can't have a price tag on it. And so like in the, in the WordPress world, the WordPress world is huge, as we all know. I mean, millions and millions of users of potential customers. So going about making, making a living off of, off of WordPress products and WordPress plugins is really just a matter of getting it into the hands of the customers. Uh, and whether that's, whether that's through, I mean, whatever, whatever your means for, for getting it out there is, um, I think it's, it's ultimately the same. You, you build a, pro- you build your, your product and you get it in front of the eyes of the potential customers. And assuming you've built a good quality product and you have good support behind it, it's going to succeed. Yep. So, so Pippin, you, you did use to freelance though, correct? How did you make the transition from freelancing to product? It was a it was a very gradual transition. I still do a little bit of freelance, but not very much. So I've been working about five years now, and I would say the first three and a half to four were purely freelance, doing doing the standard freelance, going from uh, project to project, maybe having projects that go on for a year, or six months, or uh, whatever it is. I had several long term clients that I did a lot of different projects for. Gen- generally, they'd be like studios where I would I was their contract developer. And so what I did in terms of transitioning to product-based, uh, a product-based business is I just slowly released products. So I was in college at the time and I wrote my very first plugin, uh, which had to do with custom fonts for WordPress. And I'd, I'd never written a plugin before. I decided to write it. And then, um, I knew about, uh, the Envato marketplaces, Theme Forest and Code Canyon. And I decided, you know what? We'll, we'll just throw it up there. We'll see what, what happens. Maybe I'll get like, Five bucks a month, ten bucks a month, something like that. Buy a couple of coffees, and it actually it did pretty well. I was really surprised by it. It brought in a decent amount. It wasn't anything to live off of by any means. Maybe maybe as a college student that could live on a hundred bucks a month, but it, I mean it wasn't it wasn't anything drastic. And but I over time I released a couple more. I built another plugin or two, released some, released them, and it was just kind of a, a gradual increase in terms of what those products were bringing in month to month. At one point, I realized that they were bringing in enough that if I was to focus on purely product development, that I would be able to sustain myself and my family on it. The hard part, honestly, I don't think the hard part was getting getting enough sales to sustain myself. I think the hard part was uh, figuring out how to actually get rid of freelance work. If you when you have been relying on on freelance work, project to projects, or even if it's one big project. For several years, it's really hard to just switch that off. So I would still, get, I'd get an email from somebody and I'd say yes. I think you guys talked about this, uh, figuring out how to say no to people a few episodes mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that exact same problem. That was the hardest problem for me to overcome was figuring out how to actually say no to potential projects. I'd get a project and be like, hey, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds fun. I'd like to build it. Be a nice little paycheck for the month or two months, whatever the time period is. Uh, why not? So what I what I struggled with was actually finding time to build the products because I was always involved with the the freelance work, and that was I was just a really gradual transition, slowly getting getting away from that and realizing that I didn't need to take a project. I could say no to something, or I could send it off to someone else, and that sometimes it was more worth worthwhile for me to spend an hour working on a future product than it was to spend an hour that was actually billed to a client. And getting into that mentality was pretty tough. Yeah, I find that I've, I'm kind of in that catch-22 where I would love to spend more time on products, but I spend all my time consulting for other people. And sure. I, I feel like I need that income in order to sustain, you know, keep the lights on and keep 
uh, brat kids fed. So, well, and it's I mean it's really easy to to see the benefit of of those hours spent consulting or whatever the kind of freelance that you're doing because it's directly I mean you can see the direct revenue brought in from your from your time spent whether you bill by the hour or by the project when you're done you have a paycheck so working on products it doesn't work that way you spend maybe you spend a hundred hours getting your product ready to go and then you launch it and in your first week you do 200 in sales or less or more and so getting that mentality of trying to see the 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 long-term values of a product can be tough because you're so used to going hour to hour or project to project where you have that that immediate benefit. Yeah, What's I mean, the difference between like with freelancing, you're building an income, like you know you work, you make the money, whereas with products, you're building an asset, and then the asset hopefully over time builds you the income. Right. Yeah, and I see that, but at the same time, you know, I feel like I have to pay the bills right now, so I put off well, my products. I th- and what worked well for me in in figuring that out was doing the products in spare time over a year. So I, I I'd have a product that would bring in a little bit each month, then I'd have another one, and then another one, and eventually I got to the point where where the products, even though I was still freelancing, were doing enough that I was if I was to quit freelance tomorrow, I would be okay. And I think that's kind of key is instead of just quitting cold turkey and going saying, okay, today I'm freelance and tomorrow I'm purely products, even though I don't have any products today. While it's definitely an option, if you don't, I mean, if you don't have a reserve, that's a little bit tough, but I I like the idea of doing it gradually over six months, over a year or whatever. So that on that day that you decide to actually make the switch, it's not this 60 to zero. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't, you don't want to go from making your, your monthly income to making nothing because you're suddenly spending 100 hours to build your first product. You want to make sure that on the day that you quit, you've already had sales revenue coming in. Yeah, well, it's like uh, people who go from a full-time job into a product or consulting is they, you know, they're, they're constantly being reminded, you know, have enough to make up for enough of your income to where you can just quit. Right, or you can survive for six months without making a dime or right. something like that. Or even, I know uh, a guy, I know Brian Cassell, he decided he could make less, right? Afford to make, you know, 60% and give the other 40% to his product for a year with the goal that at the end of the year, it would make up that, you know, make up the 60% again so that the following year he could be fully product. Brian used to be one of my, one of my main freelance clients. I did a lot of work with Brian. Yeah, he actually has a good podcast that talks about that, especially the first few episodes, I think, on that one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's assume for a second that I've decided I want to be a, a WordPress developer. Wh- which way do you recommend that I go to get started? You mean product developer? Either way, do you recommend that people start with products or consulting and move from one to the other? Or um, I think it really depends on what your current situation is. I mean, if you're, let's say you're going from a full-time job somewhere and you want to quit that job. The easier one is definitely consulting. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't want to say consulting is easy because consulting is stupidly hard. I mean, every aspect of a freelance business is hard. There's nothing easy about it. But I think consulting is probably easier to su- succeed at than products if you are new to the game. I mean, dep- let's say you have, I mean, if you have a list of contacts um, or people who can refer products to uh, projects to you, 
Um, if you if you have a client, they want a project, you build it, you're done. And so the main parts that you have to worry about is the, the communication with the client, the actual building of the project, and the delivery. Whereas with, with a product, you have those same things, but you also have to figure out how to put it into the eyes of the customers. And so if you don't have the means to do that, you could build a great product, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go anywhere. So I think consulting is probably easier to have a steady flow of income than than products but once if you once you succeed with products i almost want to say it's easier day to day in some ways there i mean there's definitely the benefits of it like deadlines for example uh when when you're doing product development there's not nearly as many uh strict deadlines as there might be with projects i mean you still have deadlines but not quite not the same kind no, and you can just push back yourself, push yourself back, right? Get stuck in this right. loop of refinement instead of putting it out there. Right. Uh, I, I think it really depends on what your experiences are. If if you are coming from a sales and marketing background or some sort of background that's going to make it really easy for you to get your product out there and get it exposure, by all means, I mean, go for a product. If you are from a background where that's kind of out of your forte, then I would probably go with consulting. Yeah, I have to say that uh, I got laid off when I went into consulting, and uh, it, I think that was definitely the easier transition. You got you got laid off, which made you go into consulting, or you got like fired from a client when you started consulting. No, I I got laid off, and that's what got me into consulting. Okay, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty easy because you just have to find that one person that's willing to buy your hours. Right, and I think consulting has a lot of value from uh, word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, products do as well, but I, I think consulting probably has a little bit more value, uh, at least immediate value word of mouth than product does for word of, word of mouth, uh, simply because a, a let's, let's say that your typical consulting project is 500 to $1,000 or, or whatever your, your standard rate is. So if you get, if you get one client consulting, you have, let's just make it easy and say $1,000 for a project. But now, if you get one new customer for your product, your product might sell for thirty nine dollars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they they definitely vary. It's different scales. Yeah. So, one thing I am kind of curious about: Have you gone completely from uh, consulting? Then, are you not doing that anymore? Not one hundred percent. I still do a little bit of consulting. I have one major client that I still work for every single week. Um, most of I am their dedicated developer. And so I maintain their site. I build new features, things like that. Uh, and then I have another established client that I used to do a lot of work with, and we still do a little bit. Like uh, I just finished, a, almost finished a project for them earlier this morning. But those are ones that, uh, like one of those, I work for them one day a week. And the other one, I work for them twice a year. Other than that, the only consulting I do is if somebody has a custom plugin that I decide I want to build, or if somebody wants to say sponsor the development of a new feature in one of my existing products, I'll do that. Um, but general consulting, I don't generally do. So my question then is, uh, how do you market your products? How do you help people find them? I'm really terrible at it. I'm not good at marketing. Uh, I have no shame admitting, admitting that. So, my marketing comes from a couple of different places. Number one, I use my personal brand. I have a decently well-established 
brand in the WordPress plugin community. So, and, and I built that through through my own site, pippinsplugins.com, where I run, it's basically a tutorial site, as well as my own personal portfolio. Uh, I used to do, do a lot of writing for a lot of different sites, Pro Blog Design, WP Toots, several others. And so there's a lot of, I would say, just general exposure from other developers in the community. Uh, and so there's a lot of, I'd say, word of mouth marketing that goes through that. I used to do a lot of stuff on the Envato marketplaces, which kind of do your marketing for you in some ways. You can kind of, you can um, be not quite as aggressive with marketing there and it will still be reasonably successful simply due to their, their huge traffic numbers. But in terms of marketing to new users, I try to just build a really good product. I think when somebody finds a product that works really well for them that they really like, they want to tell other people about it. And if somebody asks them what they would recommend for certain situations or scenarios, they're going to recommend the one that worked really well for them. And so that's that my, I'd say my number one marketing strategy is making really happy customers. So, and one of the ways that we do that is try and provide top-notch support. Sometimes I would say our support goes above and beyond. Obviously, we can't please everyone, but I think by providing really top-notch support to customers, it's makes them much more likely to to refer others to us. Um, and I think it's a hugely powerful marketing tool. And so I'd say that's where the the primary marketing comes from. That's that's actually a really interesting philosophy that you build top notch stuff and then, you know, provide top notch support. Um I found that a lot of places or a lot of people, uh especially professionals, because you're talking about commercial stuff that people are gonna put on their professional site, it really makes a big difference to them when they make the call to the support and they get exactly what they expected or better. Um, and I've, I've, I've known a lot of people who have left a business that they've done business with for a year or more because they had a terrible experience with their support. And, and mm-hmm. I'm one of those people. If, if I can't count on it, I'm not going to use it. I, I'm exactly the same way. Um, I try to treat my customers. It, it's the same. It's a, the old saying, treat others the way that you want to be treated. So I try to treat my customers in support the way that I would like to get support. So in, in doing that, um, anytime that I, I run across something that does not, somebody who doesn't give great support or even, even decent support. Uh, I mean, support's really hard. Support is by far the hardest aspect of my business. So when I find people that are not providing great support, I don't immediately, I don't immediately write them off because I can acknowledge that it's really, really hard. Uh, but it's generally pretty easy to tell if somebody cares about trying to help their customers as opposed to just not really caring at all. And so th- those companies or individuals that make it clear that they're trying to help you, that they want to help you, will always get my business. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. So what what advice would you have for somebody who's just starting out in uh in commercial development? Put a lot of extra time into your first few customers. The support that you provide to your first whether it's 10, 100 or 1000 customers can be huge because those are the first people that are trying it out and they're probably the first people that are going to make testimonials of some form, whether it's leaving a review on your product, making a blog post somewhere, sending a post out on Twitter, etc. And so those are your first customers that are going to have the opportunity to put your product into the hands of all the others. And if they have great things to say, that's good good for you. If they have really poor things to say, that could be catastrophic. How do you decide which products to build? 
I build what I need. I have a couple of products that I've built that I decided, eh, you know what, I'll just build this for fun. I don't really need it, but I'll build it anyway. And to be perfectly honest, those are my least favorite products. I don't like them very much because I don't personally have a need for them. So I don't, I don't have as much of a personal connection to them and I don't actively use them day to day. So they don't get as maintained as well. So usually for me, when it comes to building a new product, do I have a need for it? If I have a client that needs it, I need it for myself. I have a friend that needed it or something like that. That's usually what determines if I build it. So like my two main plugins that I have, which would be Restrict Content Pro, which is a subscription management plugin, and Easy Digital Downloads, which is e-commerce for digital products. Both of those I needed for my own personal site and business. I also needed them for a couple of my main clients. So I built them for myself with the features that I needed and started that, started there. Now, obviously, some of them, they've expanded in ways that are beyond my personal needs, but that's where they started. And I think in general, that's a good way to go because if you personally need something, you're going to build it the way that you want and you're going to build it the way that works or works for you at least. And if you're, if you're building something for yourself, it's probably not going to be crappy because you don't like working with, with poor stuff, whether it's your interface or your functionality or whatever it is. If you're writing it for yourself, you as a developer probably don't want shoddy code running your system. So it's a lot easier to, I think, maintain a high quality of standards when you're writing something for yourself. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Curtis, would you say something along the same lines? Have you ever, when you build a product, and I know you have several plugins out there, do you build them for yourself? Do you build them for clients? It depends, I suppose. I got a couple simple ones that I built starting for a client, and I could just bundle it out easy. I have one that allows you to do move some of your taxonomies onto po- or onto pages instead. That was a really simple one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I build them for myself to scratch an itch. I'm working on off and on on one for project management, and it's totally to scratch an itch. I've had a few people, oh, you should do it like this, and I, no, not interested at all. Just I'm not going to build it if I'm going to try and build it your way, and you can pay me to build it your way, I guess. Right. Yeah, I've seen that in on a few projects that I've worked on as well, um, where the client is basically, I don't want you to waste time on these other best practices. <laughs> Testing is usually one that gets. Uh, brought up under those circumstances and I'm, I'm usually unwilling to uh, do less or, you know, what I consider subpar work exactly for those reasons. So if I have to come back to it later on. I don't want to be neck deep in something that I'm not even sure works anymore. Right. Well, I, th- I think it's a lot easier to not ignore best practices if you're building it for yourself or you're building something that suits your own needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the flip side to getting stuck in that loop of refine, refine, refine is you can actually spend time to properly refine things, right? As opposed to having the deadline and having the client say, you've got to do it like now and it doesn't matter what it takes. You just have to do it. I know I've written bad code when the comment in there says, there was a deadline, this is what worked, done. And it looks terrible. And I bet you yeah, there's a better sure. way. Absolutely. I was wondering, like, how many like paid or commercial plugins do you have compared to your free ones? Well, it, it it's kind of, it's kind of a difficult question to answer to be honest, which just seems kind of silly. <laughs> so, I have I have a lot of plugins. I've written probably about 150 plugins to date. But plugins are one of those things that are kind of interesting because they can be super small or really large. Now, when it comes to commercial product pr- plugins, I would say I have in terms of standalone plugins, probably 20 or 30 
a lot of them are really small. Uh, like I, I used to do a lot of uh, like simple widgets that I would sell through Code Canyon. So those are very very simple plugins, and I don't I don't do very many of those anymore. Usually, if I if I write it like if I write a widget plugin or something that's really simple, I'll just release it for free. In terms of my main products that I would say actually um, contribute a substantial sum to my to my business's revenue, probably five to ten. But the caveat to that is so Easy Digital Downloads, which is now responsible for probably eighty percent of my revenue. That plugin is free, but it has commercial extensions. So those commercial extensions are each plugins on their own, but they are dependent upon the free plugin. And I've written probably 30 or 40 of those. So, I mean, each one of those is kind of a separate commercial product, but they're dependent upon another one. So I don't usually count them as a single as a single product. On WordPress.org, I believe I have 54 plugins. So I have a bunch that are on GitHub that are for free. free. Um, and then most of the ones that are on GitHub also exist on WordPress.org. So I, I definitely do a lot more. I do more free plugins, at least as standalone plugins, than I do commercial ones. When people install the commercial plugins, so basically I guess what I'm driving at is, so you have this free plugin, they get that off of WordPress.org, and then they actually have to go and download the the other one and put it in place? Because WordPress doesn't give you a mechanism to pull in, um, right? So, like, if you have a, let's say you download a free plugin on .org. Let's go with Easy Digital Downloads. You can download that through the WordPress dashboard, just like you would any other plugins on .org. And then, if you want one of the commercial extensions, which would be things like payment gateways uh, for like Stripe or Braintree or a bunch of others like that, or more specialized features, you purchase those offsite through my site, and then you upload them to WordPress. There, there's not an automatic install process, mm-hmm. simply because WordPress doesn't give us a way to do that with commercial plugins. Right. I can understand why. I mean, it'd be a headache to manage all of that information, bank account information, keep it safe, and all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Is it just you doing support on these plugins, or do you have other people that help folks out? Too? I have two parts to my support. I have I I really run two separate businesses that are all under the same umbrella. There's Pippin's plugins, which is my own personal site, my personal business, and I have several plugins that I sell through there. And then I have Easy Digital Downloads. And so each both of those are completely separate. When it comes to the Pippin's plugins plugins, I do all the support for those. So those would be my main ones would be like Restrict Content Pro, Sugar Event Calendar, full screen background images, a couple other big ones on there. Uh, and so anytime there's a support question for those, I take care of it. When it comes to easy digital downloads, then uh, I actually have five or six people that assist with support. I do a lot of the support, but they, I have five or six guys that contribute weekly on it. Uh, sometimes they'll do an hour a week, sometimes they'll do 10 hours a week. And so each one of those is, is paid under basically just hourly contracts for providing support as well. But so, yeah, there's there's about six of us on Easy Digital Downloads. Nice. I ran a tech support department in a previous life, and I can I, I can definitely identify with how much pain that is sometimes. It's an interesting ballgame. It's completely different than the actual development of a product. Yep. It's also a really, really important one. There's There's a lot of people that are afraid to get into product businesses because they are unsure about providing support. They don't want to deal with a workload. They don't want to 
deal with angry customers, et cetera. And then there's other people who decide to get into product business and ignore the support entirely. Maybe because they choose to, maybe because they don't realize they need to, uh, or whatever reason. But I found by far, aside from trying to write good code, that support is one of the single most important aspects of my business. And it's, it's what determines whether my business stays alive. Yeah, I actually keep some of my plugins strictly to GitHub, so I don't have, I guess, the support masses and air quotes, and it's typically just developers who are, have a bug report instead and are willing, here's all the details, they may not have time to fix it, but here's all the details so I can fix it. Right. I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. What, what tools do you use to run your business? Well, uh, there's a lot of different ones. So in terms of development for maintaining and writing code, uh, we keep, I keep everything in GitHub repositories. So anytime that I have a plugin, it has a GitHub repository, either public or private, depending on, on what, which plugin it is. And that's extremely important when it comes to, to, uh, version control for the code base, keeping track of bugs, etc. Um, so GitHub is one of the number one tools that I use, as well as anybody who's working with me. Um, another one, obviously, is WordPress. All of my all, all of my product sites run on WordPress. I use all of my support systems get powered through through WordPress using BB Press. All of my my e-commerce system itself is run through WordPress. Every almost every like major aspect of the business goes through Word goes through WordPress, which is which is fun. I'm building products for WordPress, and I get to use WordPress to power my business to power my products. That's fun. Um, other other tools. Um, Skype is really important just for keeping in uh, in contact with a lot of different people. Recently, I've started using a chat system called Hall Hall.com. And we've been using it for all of our internal chats for the EDD team. So for our core developers, as well as our support team, uh, it's, it's basically a web app. It's like a chat room. Um, and it's really, really great. It's uh, So far, it's been a phenomenal system for us. And it's just, it's been a great way for keeping everybody connected to each other, have have our, our team-wide chats, et cetera. There's no reason we couldn't do it with Skype, but we just found that we hall works better for us due to each each other's personal opinions. Some of us like Skype, some of us hate Skype. We all like Hall. So that was a big one. Uh another really, really important aspect is uh invoicing, time tracking, etc. It's not as important now since I'm doing mostly product based instead of um instead of consulting, but it's still I still do a lot with it. And for all of that I use Roninapp.com which is the single best time tracking and invoicing service I've ever used. Let's see, other things that I use. Twitter, believe it or not, some people are kind of skeptical of this. Twitter is a wonderful tool for business. It is absolutely instrumental for communication to prospective customers, uh, even really quick bug reports, uh, just talking to other developers in the community. Uh, Twitter is probably the system that I use more day-to-day than anything else. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and do the picks then, and then we will wrap up the show. Uh, Curtis, why don't you start us off with picks? Sure. The first one I'm going to pick is one keyboard, as in the number one keyboard. And I often use my iPad as a second screen. Now, when I'm at the coffee shop, 
for like a project management system, but everything's always squished on it when it's shared uh, actually as a second screen. Uh, what one keyboard does is allow you basically turns your Mac uh, into a Bluetooth keyboard for your iPad. So I can have Trello up on the side using the iPad app, and then with a quick key combination, it connects to the iPad and becomes a Bluetooth keyboard for it. So I can type right on the screen there from my Mac, oh, and it's That's awesome. really cool. Yeah, I found that last week when I was in Starbucks, and I was like, does this really work? And I downloaded it, and it does. Oh, it's awesome. Man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to keep track of that one. That's pretty <laughs> It cool. actually connects, like when you switch back and forth, you can set up to connect and disconnect the Bluetooth. So it takes a second or two to connect to it, but not long at all. And sure. I've had it very reliable, even, say, out at Starbucks or even at my house. It's never, every once in a while, it'll drop off partway through typing, but 99% of the time, it's fine. And the other one I'm going to pick today is Radium, which is basically a little menu bar player uh, that plays internet radio for you. That's it. I don't, I don't know. I dropped it, paying for a bunch of other stuff. I so. haven't, I haven't used Radium. Is Radium an actual service, or is it connecting to other internet radios? Just connects to other internet radios. So that's excellent. I stopped paying for RDO a while ago because I just didn't feel like paying money every month for something. And Radium fills my need for music I haven't listened to. And sure. typically, there's not even tons of announcers on it, which is always my issue with radio because the announcers are typically morons. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Uh, Eric, what are your picks? All right. So my pick, uh, there's a recent episode from uh, Starts for the Rest of Us. Uh, they had uh, Clay Collins on and they talked a lot about uh, marketing and like landing page design. And because I'm doing a lot of work with that, it was a pretty interesting podcast. And I read, a, read and listen to and watch a lot of Clay Collins stuff. So it's a pretty good one. Uh, a lot of like really bite-sized tactical advice you can like put to work right away. Awesome. So I've got a couple of picks. Mike Brooks, who was on the show before. He just launched a new email course uh, uh, for, uh, it's basically your uh, online marketing makeover is what he's calling it. And it's in essence in a s- series of emails that tell you how to, uh, how to, well, to make over your online marketing. And uh, he, I've actually got to look at his uh, curriculum because he uh, he's part of my mastermind group. And so he put it out there so we could see it. And, uh, the second I saw it, I said, so when are you launching this? Because I need it. So anyway, it's bite-sized stuff, uh, kind of gets you get you to the point where you understand some concepts so you can go and, and do better with your online marketing. So uh, there's that one. And uh, the other pick that I have is uh, on my um, iPhone, I've picked up a, another game that I've been playing lately. It's Bloons Tower Defense 5. I probably picked Tower Defense 4 on my phone, or before, but... Uh, Anyway, it's just fun to kind of start over and, you know, some of the levels are the same, some of the levels are different, and some of the different towers that you can get, some of the monkeys are different. So, um, anyway, if you like Bloons Tower Defense, then uh, go pick that one up. And uh, other than that, uh, I don't have any other picks. So, Pippin, what are your picks? Mine are, uh, I'll keep in the realm of of WordPress, Uh, mine are two WordPress plugins that are really, really cool that I think you should probably go check out. They actually both come from this, at least one of the developers is the same. I think they have several people that are both working on them. Uh, One is searchwp.com. And basically, if anybody who's used WordPress for a long time knows that searching in WordPress kind of sucks, uh, it's not very good. And so searchwp has built this really, really top-notch plugin to allow you to build uh, much better searches. Um, And then the other one is actually a very related plugin. 
uh, and it is called Facet WP. And it is for filtering. So like if you want to have a, let's say that you are running a site that lists hotels in, in a city. And so somebody wants to be able to, or, or a whole bunch of different cities. And so you're looking for hotels in, in all these different cities and states. And you want to have a really nice uh, page where you can filter by cities, filter by state, filter by all these different things, maybe the number of stars that the hotel has, et cetera. Facet WP is for doing exactly that. It allows you to build these uh, intricate filtering systems that all work very quickly and, and live via Ajax. It's really pretty sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. We are going to be talking to Michael Port in an upcoming episode, so make sure you are reading his book. It's on uh, the 24th, so you'll probably get it on the 1st of October. But uh, yeah, go go pick up his book and start reading. And yeah, we'll catch you all next week.